Genesis 6 and 8. I want to give you a portion. The most uh, pertinent part of this verse. Genesis 6 and 8 tells you that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Everybody said praise the Lord. I'd like to minister for a little while this morning on finding grace in the storm. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. This uh, first usage of the word grace is found here in Genesis 6 and 8, first time it's used in the Bible, the word grace. I would think maybe a simple way to illustrate grace for us to identify with in our day and age might be if you have a mortgage payment and it's due on the first, well, they give you 14 more days of grace. In other words, if you don't pay it on the first, you have up to the 15th, the bank tells you. After that, you get penalized. So those two weeks, we'll call it, are referred to the grace period period of time which you will not um, incur the wrath or the penalty if you plead. I hope that helps you to identify with the time in which we are living because the church right now, the body of Christ, universally the church is in a time period known as grace. Right now we have period of time in which there's not going to be any great uh, wrath from God. The Bible teaches, of course, that the church, the body of Christ, that is, those that are baptized in Jesus' name and those that are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, thus you're a part of the church, the body of Christ, that you are not appointed to wrath, but that the church, us, the body of Christ, are appointed unto the salvation of God, and that consequently the mercy of God, and the grace of God, and the love of God. So many wonderful things that benefits, if you please, to being in the church, that God's grace came your way during this period of time in which the church has been birthed and the church is up and operating for these low approximately 2,000 years. Before that, you had the law. And the law is what your Bible teaches. It really brought death. And that then, for an example, Moses, the law came by Moses. But the writer said grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So that letter of the law that brought death, Jesus came and in coming and being the lamb of the spirit and that he would give his life on the cross and in so doing that then he was ushering in grace. He represented it grace and truth. He was bringing something and demonstrating it during his earthly ministry when he went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. The 
Scripture teaches that darkness was very great, but that Jesus caused great light to spring up in its place. As he came walking through the land, God manifest in the flesh. The very God who is a spirit, invisible, and he chose to show himself visibly through the flesh of the man, Christ Jesus. And in so doing, that's why people could cry out, Have mercy upon me, thou son of David. And he would ask them what they wanted. Some would say that they might see. Others that they would be cleansed of their leprosy or their cancer. And many other such like things. A woman brought, caught in the very act of adultery. Moses said, Stoner, what do you say, Master? And he said, He that's without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. That's what I say. And so they backed out like a Louisiana crawfish, and there was nobody there left but Jesus and the woman. And that's what he said. Where are those thine accusers, woman? She said, Nobody here but thee and me. And of course, that's what it's always going to boil down to going to be you having to face God. You want everything to be taken care of ahead of time by His grace so that you do not have to face the penalty or incur the wrath of God. That you have an opportunity, as I stated, because Jesus introduced the church. He made it available, made it possible. He gave introduction to it, and then He birthed it. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that 50th day after the feast of the Passover, and that's the day that they put the blood, and that's the day that they are the blood of the Lamb, and that's the day that they could uh, be covered by that blood and be protected from the death angel. And so that feast of the Passover, they were uh, had celebrated it, and now 50 days past it, where there was the feast of the harvest. In gathering of the harvest, the first fruits of the ingathering of the harvest. And that's the day that the Spirit chose to pour out upon whosoever will. And anybody could experience this great gift of the Holy Ghost that came by the fact of the matter that Jesus gave his life, gave that flesh, gave that prepared body on the cross. And then he made it possible by his death that the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the living God, could be poured out and poured out upon whosoever will. No longer would it be the sovereign will of the Spirit, but now it's for whosoever will that everybody could come and begin to call on the name of the Lord in truth. Don't forget your subject matter. You don't call any old way you want, any old time you want, I'm going to say either. That there is opportunity that has been made during this period of time known as grace and that you can begin to call upon him according to the truth. And as you call upon him in truth, then you have an opportunity to experience his grace, even as the woman. And here it's just you and me, Lord. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, uh, just go and sin no more. Let's have a good repentance here, a good change of heart, good change of attitude. You'll base all of that on the teachings of the Word of God. Begin to do as the, the, the Word of God would teach you. And then if you do that, then we can move forward here. And Jesus showed grace. He was demonstrating grace 
in his earthly ministry because they were leaving the law, transitioning into that period of time known as grace. A time when God was saying, I'm going to give you a space for repentance. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be baptized in water in the name above every name the name of Jesus Christ. going to give you an opportunity to seek the gift of the Holy Ghost that you then will be born again of water and of the Spirit and be placed into the body of Christ that I've introduced here to you and that it's built upon the revelation of who I am and that I am the mighty God in Christ and here I am to give to you all that you would ever have need of, not only in this life but in the world to come. And it's the world to come that really matters. This right here is going to pass away. But the great creator of both heaven and earth said, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Going to let the former things will pass away. And I'm going to make everything brand new. There's not going to be a devil. There's not going to be sin. There's not going to be fleshly carnal feelings that are promoted by the enemy that he takes advantage of mankind. I'm not going to have that anymore. It's going to be a place wherein dwelleth righteousness, a new heaven, a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. The former going to be gone. How wonderful that's going to be. There'll be no more devil. That'll be great all in itself, won't it? But more importantly, the Bible is telling you, don't rejoice because I've made the devil subject unto you and that nothing by any means can harm you he said, rather, he said, get a hold of the right spirit and know what's being developed in your life, that you're not going to be a person of wrath or vengeance or revenge. You're not going to be somebody who dwells on, I got them. You're not going to be that way. He said, you're going to know what manner of spirit you're of. And he said, in other words, you're going to rejoice not because the devils are subject unto you, but because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're not going to need to call down fire from heaven and everybody that you feel like has injured you or you feel like has slighted you that you're going to get them back. You're not going to be that way. But you're going to have grace shown to you and thereby you're going to show grace to others. You're going to know that people are in sad and desperate need of this grace of God. Now who is going to get that grace in the time of grace? Who's going to experience that in their heart and in their lives? Well, your Bible tells you both in James and 1 Peter that God giveth grace, even more grace, to the humble. God's looking for people who will humble themselves before Him and show themselves to uh, desire the presence of the Lord and the characteristics of the Lord and that you will want what He has for you, that you're not going to uh, be proud and high and haughty and lifted up. These are devilish characteristics your Bible teaches you, but that you're going to repent of those things. For it is written, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Begin to repent of your fleshly ways. Re begin to repent of your fleshly attitude. Begin to uh, tell God that you're in desperate need of His grace his help, his space for a time of repentance that the enemy's grip could be loosened on your mind and that you could break away much like legions did and fall at the feet of the master 
who is standing there with arms outstretched wanting to show you grace. I know you've done it wrong. I know you've said it wrong. I know it's documented and evidenced and caught in the very act if you please. But he said, I'm here to extend to you my grace. I'm here to show you and I'll cast the devil out. And I'll give you a new life. I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit. Give you a new attitude, a better attitude about everything. And everybody said amen. I want you to know that long before, long before there was any kind of denomination. And uh, I had a young man told me, he's a bag boy and in the grocery store, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, my, I have a long history in my family, several generations of them being a certain denomination that I won't call. That's not usually the most polite thing to do. But uh, he said, I'm, and he's probably about 16 or 17, he said, I'm, I'm just getting ready to start studying with my mother. He had told me what the denomination was, and I said, don't do that. I said, because she's going to bend you towards this denomination. And I said, and that denomination didn't start until 1873. I said, so that was long after Jesus started his church. And that's the church you should be interested in. I tell you, name any denomination you want to name to the one that's being started today, all the way back to 325 A.D., thereabouts, and you're going to find that they were started by men. They were founded by human beings. Just the same as you going out and chop down a tree or get you a piece of metal and begin to forge it or begin to carve it and begin to cover it over with something and set it up on its pedestal or hang it around your neck and say, this is my God. That's about as much as you're going to get. That God can give you nothing. That God cannot speak. That God cannot heal. That God cannot save. That God cannot do anything. And people become just like that God. They become that deaf, dumb, and mute, if you please. They have no activity really in their spiritual senses, I'm saying to you. And they're in a sad case. Far better for you to tell yourself, I have an opportunity in this time of grace to serve the living God. I can serve the God who can heal, who can save, who can speak, who can deliver, who created the heavens and the earth. I can serve Him. Amen. Amen. just remember, long before there was any of them, there was the apostolic Pentecostal church that Jesus gave birth to. And we have taught you before that, that uh, Pentecost, when the feast day, when the Spirit was poured out for the first time, whosoever will. And from that word Pentecost came the word Pentecostal, meaning you get the experience that was initially poured out for whosoever will. It's found in your Bible in Acts 2. That's the term Pentecostal, meaning receiving the Holy Ghost just like they did, speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives you the utterance, or speaking in another language that you don't know naturally, that the Spirit gives to you spiritually. And as it is written, it is not you that does the speaking, but the Spirit of your Heavenly Father which is in you. So when you start believing in your heart, then He sends forth the Spirit into that believing heart, and then he begins to speak through you as you confess with your mouth that he is Jesus the Lord. And everybody said hallelujah. And that's Acts 2.38, just saying it in a more advanced way, teaching to the church. But repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
And that, my friend, is the teachings of the original church that Jesus gave birth to. That church that was there long before any of these other denominations because the first denomination out of there was the one that that's it. They were out of there. They said, I'm out of here. We're going to Rome. We're leaving Jerusalem. We're leaving Peter, James, and John. And you sit here and say, well, I would never walk out on Peter, James, and John. Well, let me tell you something. Lots of people have walked away from truth, and the same ones, the same spirit that got them to walk away today, the same spirit that got them to walk away right back there in the beginning. And they went away from it, and they, they left the original teachings, and they left Jerusalem and the surrounding area, and they went to Rome. And when they got to Rome, they buddied up with the devil. He was the emperor. And the emperor wanted his own private hired gun. And he said, let's start something, and you guys are on my payroll. And what I tell you is the way it will be done, and you'll put the religion to it. And here we go, and that's what they did. And they came up with all kinds of weird, off-the-wall teachings, but they perverted and twisted, put it just enough of the little chapter and verse in there to make people think that they were the same as those back at Jerusalem that Jesus started. And that's going on right today. There's lots of people that'll carry this Bible around and they'll try to preach from this Bible or talk to you from this Bible, but they've got a lot of things in there that are not of the church. They got a lot of brackish water. They got a lot of tadpoles and wiggle worms, and it's all a mess. You want that pure crystal river of water that flows straight from the throne of God? That's what you want. Revelation 22 and 1. You want that. You don't want anything that's all messed up. You want what comes from God. You want that purity of doctrine. Do you remember? People come around. That's what I told the young bag boy. I said, you tell your mother and everybody else, say, I want, I want what they got. I want what Peter, James, and John got. I said, you turn to Acts chapter 2 and you read it. And you pay particular attention to Acts 2.38 in the card. It has it right on it. You pay attention to that. You read that. You, in other words, contend for that. Determine that you're going to get what they got and that you don't want any perversion. You don't want any change of anything. You don't want to depart from this. Now, when the original church that we are a continuation of, as they went forth and they began to reach people in Jerusalem, then the Lord gave them a little message that it's time to move beyond Jerusalem, and so they did. And they, uh, Philip went down to Samaria, and then others went other places. And as they established new works and new towns and even new countries, then that's why you have Romans through Revelation. You have letters or epistles that were written, messages that were sent to these new works in these new places. And the elder that was appointed to be there, that he was to read this to them, and they were to study it and learn of it, this coming from the Spirit, through the apostles, to the body of Christ. And as they went about uh, teaching and preaching the word of God and reaching people in other areas, then this is where you read, for an example, in the book of Galatians. You read about them that started to turn backwards. They started to go away. They started to go back under the law. That was their particular situation. Some people go back under other things, okay? Other ways they go backwards to former ways of thinking, former ways of acting, former ways of, of going into life and with an attitude that is unspiritual. It is a backup from 
this message and this truth. And everybody said, praise the Lord. So this is why in Galatians 5 and 1, a message was sent to the church or the congregation of people at a town called Galatia. And while he was writing to them, he was inspired to say, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. Now, he's telling people who have been baptized in Jesus' name and who have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and have been living for God. Because he told them, he said, you did run well. They were running well. They were doing the job. They were in the race. They were believing the message. But the Spirit now has entered, as it always is going to attempt to do. The thing is whether or not you're going to answer that knock. You don't have to open that door. And God help you if you do. Because you will then fight that spirit from there on. You've got to tell yourself, I'm going to stand fast in the liberty. And that's what being made free from sin and false doctrine and evil spirits is all about. That you've been made free. You are liberated. You now are a part of the body of Christ. You're not subject to spirits that drive you into the wilderness of, of life and of sin, and you're doing all the wrong stuff, and you become the servant of that spirit. No longer are you that. Now you're born again of water and spirit, and you are a servant of Jesus Christ. How much better to be a servant of the Lord than to be a servant of Satan. You better tell yourself that Satan, he is going to destroy me. Not only in this life, but he wants to drag me down to hell with him for all of eternity, where I will live in torment. No matter how much you try to rationalize it, and they did in Galatia. No matter, and people do it today, and they want to really, the real thing is that a spirit has hit them, and it's wanting to take them backwards and downwards. And you've got to recognize that. It's uh, What did Paul say? The preacher, he said, you hate me because I tell you the truth. Some people no longer want to hear the same truth that delivered them from sin. They go backwards and they don't want to hear it anymore. And they rationalize and they fight and they resist. But you've got to maintain here a stance that you're happy to be liberated from the devil. That you've broken by the Holy Ghost the grip of the enemy. And through prayer and church and worship and the Word of God, you are able to keep the enemy's grip broken. And he no longer can get that kind of hold on you because you have the name that's above every name. You have the blood of the Lamb. You have the Spirit of the living God. You're in the church, the body of Christ, and you can resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. For some reason, these folks begin to lose direction. And uh, I don't know who I was telling, but you know, I wasn't always in the church. And as a young man, I, I, uh, I did involve myself in sports and um, <clears throat> took the Holy Ghost to deliver me from all of that. But at that time in my life as a young man, a younger man, I was, uh, I mean, who's old, right? We're young here. So I remember, uh, I remember seeing this guy. I probably could call his name, but I won't. But he was, um, he was a very big fella, and he was, he was on the defensive side of the line and professionally. And he, um, he picked up a fumble. I don't know if he caused it. I don't remember that detail. But he picked up a fumble, and he began to run. An old friend, he ran. I mean, he ran nobody. It didn't matter what person was making what move towards him. Nobody could get him. You're talking about lumbering down the field like a great big bulldozer. Down that field he went and scored that touchdown. The only problem is he was going the wrong way. 
and he scored the touchdown for the other team. And his own teammates were trying constantly to tell him, turn around, and he would not turn around. Well, you know, you can get that way. Galatians, when he told you here to stand fast, therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ, Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And he said, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, and then he began to teach them the things that they were wrestling with and, and the doctrine that they were trying to get involved with here. That was not to be. And so he said, um, he began to testify to them, he said, and he said, in so doing, going in the wrong direction that you're going, he said, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, he said, you are fallen from grace. Fallen from grace. Now let me tell you, you don't get this experience and, you know, want to be fallen from grace. We want to be going upward in grace. We want to, as we're told, grow in grace and in knowledge. Everybody said, praise the Lord. Give God a big hand, will you? Okay, boys, you, you really need to slide over, guys. Just slide down the bench. Yes, that's, that's good. We only have to practice that once a week, right? One of these days we'll learn it. I don't know, though. Everybody said, hallelujah. Oh, brother, I love the Lord, and I love his word. And uh, so you want to tell yourself, I want to find grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace when he most desperately and sorely needed it because there was a big old storm that was coming up on the horizon. And God had warned Noah. And because Noah found grace in God's eyes, and he walked with the Lord. He didn't try to get ahead of him, and he didn't lag behind him. In other words, he didn't try to outsmart him and no more. That was Satan's job, supposedly. Didn't work too well. And, uh, and then we don't want to be lagging behind here, some kind of dead weight, not cooperating, being contrary, not at all. But Noah walked with the Lord. There was a harmony. There, there was a, uh, a getting in synchronization here. And there was a submittal and a humility. And as he walked with the Lord and found grace in the eyes of the Lord, the Lord said, well, I'm going to show you a little something. Now you just start taking my instructions and I want you to build an ark. And I want you to build it in a very specific manner. And I'm going to give you the blueprint. You're going to know exactly, you and your family, what to do. And so Noah led his family, eight total, led them in the right way, giving them the right instructions. The Bible said that by faith, Noah, he moved by faith. He was moved and motivated by faith, okay? And in so doing, and also with a good, healthy touch of fear, all right, that there was a healthy respect that got a hold of Noah, and he sent that right down through his family, okay? He got them convinced that, look, God is talking here, and he's talking to us. Imagine that. We're surrounded by people whose imaginations of their heart is to do evil, and God has told me that there is a storm coming. There's going to be a big old bad old storm. And so we've got to follow the teaching, the blueprint, the word of the Lord here. We've got to get about doing this. And he moved with fear, the book said, or respect, that God's word, that God said it, and that settles it. We've got to be about it. And as he began to do what God said, 
then you know that the Bible said the windows of heaven opened up and the fountains of the deep opened up. And God has used the term, behold, I create a new thing. Well, nobody had ever seen. But Noah was working on faith. Noah was moved by faith along with a healthy sense of respect. And Noah was well aware of what God was saying when the rest of the world had a big question mark. Who ever heard of that? What is that? I don't believe in that. That ain't nothing. I got a better way of doing it, and so on and so forth. But on the day when the clouds gathered together and very threatening and darkening, and as the lightning began to flash, heat lightning in the air to ground, and absolutely people were just panicking everywhere, and then the first drops of rain began to fall, and they'd never seen rain before, for the earth was watered from a mist that came up from it. So they'd never seen that. They didn't know what that was. I'm telling you, we're living in times where there are things that are going to happen that you've never seen before. The spirit of it, yes. But I'm telling you, there are spirits that are going to come out of the river Euphrates that have been tied up there, and they'll be loosed, and there are things going to come out, friend, on this world. Things that are going to shake people and frighten people. And the Bible said the powers of the heavens would be shaken, and that men's hearts, and uh, this starts failing, this will start failing. And men, stress, you know, and men's hearts will begin to fail them for the fear that is coming upon them of the things that are taking place in the earth. Let me tell you something. The armor of the world cannot protect you. You need the armor of God. You need the armor and the weaponry of the Holy Ghost. Not weapons that are carnal, but weapons that are spiritual. Spiritual. So there's a storm coming in our day, just as there was in their day. And uh, you want to realize, try to grasp an overall picture of God's Word. For an example, Jude's little, small, powerful message here. And he was a servant of Jesus Christ, and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, that's the Spirit, and preserved in Jesus Christ, that's the fleshly body, glorified now, and called. So we've got Spirit in flesh, don't ever forget that. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. And he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, this is for everybody. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every nation, every race, every language, it's for everybody. Okay? Everybody said hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. We had a man uh, tell one of our people up there at uh, the church in Lake Placid said he was looking for diversity. I said, well, you've landed in the right place, okay? Because that's our name. We're diverse city. We're the city set upon a hill. we diverse city. <laughs> Everybody said praise the Lord. Give God a big hand. Amen. <clears throat> said, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you. Might as well say it was necessary for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly, talk to the church, you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. There is one Lord and one faith. Delivered this faith. We're earnestly contending for this faith. There is 
Long before there was any of these other so-called things, what did the, again in Galatians he called them foolish? He said, because you've been moved from that faith or moved from that salvation or moved from this gospel. And he said, unto another, he said, which is not another. There isn't another. Not when you come down to talking about salvation eternally, there just isn't another. There is no other Jesus. There is no other way. There is no other plan. There is no other faith. There is no other Lord. I've read in the scripture in Isaiah, he called him God the Lord. Thank you very much. Just one. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. That baptism is made up of water and spirit. Everybody said hallelujah. So notice he says that, and he said that was delivered once delivered unto the saints. Now he said in verse 4, key verse, he said, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. In other words, these spirits are working through these individuals, and they're bringing condemnation. Uh, some people don't like condemnation. They don't like to feel conviction. Well, if you don't like condemnation, and you don't like the feeling of conviction, then the best thing you can do is get in the Spirit and stay in the Spirit. Because there is therefore now no condemnation to them who walk in Christ Jesus, who are in the Spirit, and who mind the things of the Spirit. Everybody said, praise the Lord. So if you want to get out from the condemnation, then you get in the body of Christ. You get out of the world, if you please, and get into the church. You get out of sin, and you get into this beautiful Holy Ghost experience, this liberty from sin and from spirits. And so he said, uh, these certain ones crept in unawares. Oh, they're very, very sneaky. And he said, who before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. And what did they do? They turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Now that's just plain out, flat out, nasty, rotten, low down, no good, bottom of the septic tank, sin. That's what lasciviousness is. Thank you very much. And denying, denying, only Lord God, Jesus Christ. My goodness. Where a spirit can take people to. He's writing to the church, and he's warning. He wasn't so much talking about people so much outside as he was talking about people that had gotten inside. And they, they kind of uh, got on the inside of things, but they didn't have the right spirit. They didn't have the right attitude. And they begin to talk to different ones. And they begin to fill the ear with different things to those that were, unfortunately, uh, immature enough to listen to them and weak enough to listen to them and let them give them ear and let them fill it up. You don't have to make yourself a garbage pail. You do not have to let the enemy use things and people and inventions or whatever to fill you with trash and garbage. You don't have to be a septic tank have all that nasty, smelly junk inside of you. does not have to be that way. You see, because the Bible teaches when you are baptized in Jesus' name and when you are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, that you are then and only then saved and sanctified. Okay? That's what the Holy Ghost does for you. People want to say they're saved and then they're sanctified and then somewhere down the road they get the added attraction of getting the Holy Ghost. That's because they teach something that's not in the Bible. Okay, the Bible doesn't teach. They want to say you're saved when you take Jesus as your personal Savior. You know, when you uh, accept him as your personal Savior, which is not in the Bible, and there's no instructions in the Bible to do that. Let's follow the instructions of the Word of God. It says to repent. 
It says to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the full pardon of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So let's follow the instruction. You know, somebody that had a job, and their job was to tell people what they were doing wrong. And people weren't happy about that. But that was her job. My job is to show you you're doing this wrong. You're doing it the wrong way. You're following the wrong train of thinking or the wrong instructions or however this got in your mind and you're doing it. It's not right. And, and the larger system wants me to show you how to do it correctly. But Paul said the same thing. He said, and that's why you hate me, because I tell you the truth. Because I'm trying to bring the truth to you. I'm trying to bring the correct way to you. I'm trying to prevent you from going backwards and falling from grace and winding up in a devil's hell for all of eternity. I'm trying to point you in the right direction. I'm not only trying to get you in the church, but we want to keep you in the body of Christ. We don't want to just get you on the right path. We want to keep you on the right path. And that's why he told them, you did run well, and now you're listening to something in this persuasion. That which is persuading you to do this is not of him that called you, Jesus Christ. It's not what he called you to. That's not how he called you. That's not his plan. So there are spirits that will work through many different things in an attempt to turn the grace of our God into sin. We'll tell you that it's all right to do that and to act that way and to believe that way and to live that way. And it will turn you against him to where you will deny him. You will deny him. Uh, we don't want to deny the Lord. We want, if you deny him, then he's going to deny you in that day. If you're ashamed of him, then he's going to be ashamed of you. So you've got to tell your, now you can't just say, now, I'm not ashamed of him and I'm not denying him. You, you know, that doesn't work. You see, there's got to be some fruit here. Even when it, you come to repentance, you are instructed in the word of God to bring forth fruit, meet or proper and worthy of repentance. Okay? You can't just say, I'm repentant. And, and you're the same old you doing the same old thing, then you're not showing repentance. You're not bringing forth the fruit. That's like an apple tree keeps saying for 50 years, I'm an apple tree, and, and, or I'm an orange tree. And, you know, and God's word, he said, well, cut it down. And the pastor said, well, let me work around a little bit more. And God said, cut it down. Why cumber the ground with it? Why are you taking up space? Might as well just pluck it up and get it out. And Jesus gave an object lesson of that. He looked at a tree with his disciples one day, and uh, he, he uh, cursed the tree. And, and uh, it was because the tree had not only didn't have fruit, which at that moment it actually wasn't the time of fruit, but because he knew and discerned that it did not have any promise of bringing forth fruit. In other words, it's not going to. It may be putting on the look. It may be that whited sepulcher, polished, looking good. That tree was looking good. But he said, inside is dead. Inside it's dead, full of dead men's bones. It is dead. And it's just two illustrations of the same thing. But he said, and so they went their way. And you know what? The disciples went back by where that tree was. And they said, oh, man, look at that thing. Withered away and died. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you want to tell yourself here, and I want to, I want to bring forth fruit that's proper and worthy of repentance. You've got to show, you know, what did the uh, writer say? He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. There's got to be some production here. The, the uh, four cases 
the last case, the only one you're really interested in, when the seed fell and, and, and it was good ground, he said, these are they that an honest and a good heart. An honest and a good heart. They're the ones that brought forth the fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. It was a wonderful production, a wonderful yield, a wonderful harvest. It was productive and producing. It was showing the fruit of the labor of the seed that had been sown in it and the, it, the certified seed that it will produce. And so we've got to understand that this Word of God is the seed. And we're begotten by that seed. And we're brought to a place of repentance. And then we're brought to a place of being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in water. And then we're brought to a place of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it is by that experience that we are sanctified and we are justified and we're even glorified, your Bible teaches you. So it's, it is a, a one faith here and the whole overall doctrine and a part of it brings to you this salvation experience and you don't just shake somebody's hand or accept Christ as your Savior because the Scripture doesn't teach that. But what you do is what I said from the Bible. You repent, you get baptized in Jesus' name, and you get the Holy Ghost. And then from there, that's what has sanctified you. That's what cleans you up. That's what got all the filth and the dirt and smut out of your mind and the pornography and everything else. It's out. It's gone because you've been delivered from that spirit of pornography. You've been delivered from that lustful spirit. You've been delivered from sin and garbage and filth in the world. You've been delivered from that. And you've been sanctified. And you've been set aside as a holy vessel to do the work of the Lord. You're no longer a vessel for trash. You're no longer a vessel for garbage and filth. But now you are the vessel of the Lord. You're a vessel of honor. Okay? And your, your works, your attitude, your, uh, your countenance, your words, uh, let the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight. Okay? So you these things, uh, uh, you become a vessel that the Bible teaches it's purged of the garbage and it comes forth a vessel for the finer, a better vessel. God does something in our lives that makes us better in His eyes. Okay? And so we don't want to uh, find ourselves classified or classify ourselves with the fallen, with people who are going backwards, people who are falling from grace, people who are being convinced that that's not good and that's not right and i and, and you begin to question it, you begin to argue against it, and it begins to tie up your mind, and, and you find yourself, uh, actually one writer said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. You wind up frustrating God's grace, and it's designed to do so many good things in a person's life, you don't want to frustrate that. You don't want to, to stop that and hinder that and keep that from doing the kind of work it's supposed to do in your life. Grace is supposed to give you the space and opportunity for you once again to repent of your sins, to get baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then to begin to run this race. Not only then are you saved, but you're staying saved. That's why you want to be in church. That's why you want to read His Word. That's why you want to do all the things that the Word is teaching you and the pastor's teaching you and the leadership is teaching you and people are being an example to you. Okay, and that's why it's important if you claim to be in the body of Christ that you be a good example. Be thou an example of the believers in your Word, in your lifestyle, okay? And the way you're living your life, the places you go and the places you don't go, okay? Very important. And everybody said praise the Lord. Everybody said hallelujah. Give God a big hand.
thank God. We want this grace of God. And we, like Noah, we want to we find that grace. We're on a search. We want to find the grace of God. And in the midst of the storm, we're entering into a time that, that has never been since the foundation of the world, the Scripture teaches you. So we want to recognize that there are many telltale signs around us universally that the, the whole thing is heating up and everything is heading towards a great big storm. And Noah had to build it right, and when he did, the very thing that destroyed everybody else saved him and lifted him up above it. And so it is that which the church, the body of Christ, is built upon the rock, that which we're built upon, that which material that we're made out of, the gold and the silver, all the precious metals that represent the good teachings of the body of Christ that are in us, then that's going to keep us in the storm. It, the values of it, the teachings of it, the, the greatness of it is going to keep us in this time of storm. The church will rise above it. Stability will be the wisdom of the church's time. The stage is being set for God's church to let her light so shine in the midst of this very darkened and sinful and lascivious world. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Let's take a moment, lift our hearts with our hands and worship Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Forever. People from every nation, people from every 